Number 34, immortal, invisible, God only wise. And let's sing all four verses. Let's stand together if you can. And let's sing verses one through four. <clears throat>
last time that um, I had the opportunity to stand behind this pulpit, I covered Psalm 119 and talked about the sufficiency of God's Word. And um, I'll go back, we're going to go back to Psalm 119, but before I go there, open up to uh, the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. You know, in today's society, one of the challenges that we have is trying to figure out what is truth and what is fiction. You know, the we know that God's word is true. Jesus says in uh, John 17, 17, that word is truth. And um, it is important for us as Christians to understand that's, that that's the only thing that we can trust. 100% of the time is God's word because it is true 100% of the time. And in the book of Colossians, Paul warns us about so, things that are going on today. You know, it's interesting in that this book was written almost, what, 1900 years ago, but yet at the same time, it's applicable to us today. Colossians chapter 2. <coughs> And we'll start off in um, verse number 4. Colossians 2, verse number 4. Paul uh, says this, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying in beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, Abounding therein with thanksgiving, beware lest any man spoil you to philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Father, we thank you once again for your word, and Lord, we pray that um, we know that uh, your word is sufficient. It is all that each and every one of us ever needs. It is something that we can trust 100% of the time because we know it's true 100% of the time. So, Father, we just ask that you bless our study this evening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, Paul says in verse number 7, Root and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. He's, um, you know, essentially as Christians, what, one of the things that we have to um, understand and believe is the fact that God's word is true. But more importantly is the fact that why do we study it? Why are we studying God's Word? You know, it's, it's fascinating to see that people, everyone has opinions. The problem with opinions is this, is that everyone is not entitled to their own set of facts. Just because you think something is true, doesn't mean it's true. What, are the, what do the facts say? You know, we've been through three years of this COVID pandemic, and what's fascinating about this whole thing is that people that said in the very beginning, why are we um, quarantining or locking up healthy people? You know what's fascinating about that? Is the Bible talks about what we should do with people that are sick, right? People that were lepers, what did they do? They basically quarantined them. They did not quarantine the healthy people, but yet at the same time, here we were, quarantining people. And sadly, if you, if you think about this, what was crazy was, remember my buddy and I, we were, um, Early on in the pandemic, this was back in March or April of 2020, we were basically walking down Kailua Beach. This was a sunny day, it was a, a weekday, and it was nice and sunny, winds were, trade winds were blowing, it was probably like about five to 10 miles an hour, beautiful day, perfect day to be out on the beach. 
And uh, there were some young girls that were lying down on the beach. And here were the police officers on ATV vehicles driving down the beach. And I looked at my buddy, I said, what are the cops doing? He said, they're ticketing them. I said, serious? They're ticketing, ticketing them? I said, for what? He said, because they're lying down on the beach. And I thought to myself, what is the safest place to be during a pandemic? Out in the sun, out in the um, sunshine, where you got a whole bunch of vitamin D, and basically you have studies that basically show that people that had uh, low levels of vitamin D were most susceptible to COVID-19. But more importantly, is this: is that you got fresh air, mm -hmm. rather than being in an enclosed room, right, where you got no circulation or anything else. It just didn't make sense. And so we had people that were just—I mean, I remember the um, our mayor telling people that they should go hiking, but by themselves. <laughs> or those that were going out into the ocean, surfing, to go by themselves. And I'm thinking to myself, what planet do you live on? I mean, any person with half a brain would realize you never go hiking by yourself. You always go in groups. It's dangerous. It's the same thing all the years that I surfed. I never surfed by myself. I always went out with at least one other person. Why? Because if, if one of us gets into trouble, at least the other one can help, right? But nothing made sense during this pandemic. And what's fascinating about all this is that three years later, all the people that were getting canceled and were be, be, um, being told that it doesn't make sense to quarantine healthy people, now we're finding out that everything that they said, the, pe the thing that uh, they were being canceled for, guess what? Studies come out that are finally coming out and saying that that's right. Masks didn't work. Vaccines did not prevent you from catching the virus. And the crazy thing was that, so why, why, why was the government pushing vaccines? So that you don't catch the virus. And then the other thing was that, so you don't transmit the virus. And it never made sense to me. It's like, wait, if I'm taking this shot so that I don't catch it, how is it that I'm gonna be transmitting it to somebody else if that shot is supposed to prevent me from getting the virus? And I just saw a, a um, an article the other uh, the other day. There's a gal that's basically crying out on social media saying that I've taken five shots and I'm disappointed to find out that I, I, I turned up positive with COVID. And she says, I wear the mask everywhere I go. That's like, uh, okay. So what does common sense tell you? You know, it, it just doesn't make sense. But the point is this, like Paul is saying here is that People are trying, people that have these, uh, look at verse number 8 there, he says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of man, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. He was talking about philosophy, right? This is basically individuals that have the knowledge. And sadly, throughout this um, pandemic, all of the health professionals, the CDC, the FDA, all of these agencies that we thought we could trust, somehow, some way, I don't know what happened to them. But you know, I, I was saddened to see that the, um, basically the CDC put down um, on the childhood vaccination schedule, they put COVID-19 vaccines on the childhood vaccination schedule. It's not mandatory, but guess what? The majority of states here in America follow the CDC guidelines, the vaccine schedule. The least susceptible kids 
those under 18 years old, less susceptible to the COVID vaccine, now they're mandated, they're, they may be mandated to get these COVID shots in order to go to school. Doesn't make any sense. But you know, one of the things that goes on here is that the world wants to tell us that they know better than us. And sadly, because of that, what happens is that the majority of people have bought into that. They believe that government can care for, uh, for us better than we can ourselves, each individual. Here's the thing is that if you gave me $100 and said, Hugh, you can spend this any way you want, right? Any way you want. You can spend it on yourself. You can spend it on somebody else. It doesn't matter. Guess what? Because this money came in freely, oftentimes what would happen is that you really, it's free money. So what do you do? You try to get the biggest bang for your buck. Most people will not. I will try. I was like, $100, praise the Lord. Well, first thing I do is drop $10 in the, um, in the offering. But more importantly than that is that what do I do with the other $90? I would think to myself, well, you know, I can bless somebody else with this, but for most individuals, what happens is that they would go out and just spend it because of the fact that it's free. They didn't have to work for it. And that's what we're doing in today's society is that rather than teaching people responsibility, what we're teaching them is that, hey, all we need to do is just put our hand out and somebody will take care of us. The point that I'm trying to get at is that for the most part, many people have gotten away from God to the point where they're no longer reliant on God. So what I see going on in that college in Kentucky, I pray that perhaps it would open up a few eyes, that it will open up some people to know that, hey, there is an alternative to what the world is telling us. With that, what I want us to do is go to Psalm 119, turn to verse number 65, this passage of scripture, the last time I taught, uh, covered Psalm 119, basically I talked about the sufficiency of scripture. But here's a passage of scripture that resonated with the men behind bars. And um, a lot of them could relate to this passage of scripture. But I think not just so much for them, but also for us today that are free, that are outside. Psalm 119, verse number 65, and let me read these eight verses here. It says, um, verse 65, Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according unto thy word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe thy commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. Thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn their, thy statutes. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. You know, throughout these eight verses here, what we see is the writer here yearning of having a dependence, wanting to know more about God's word. You know, in... Um, Verse 65, he says, Thou hast dealt well with thy servant. You know what's fascinating about this? If you think about this, he says, You, God, have dealt well with me as a servant. You know, the Apostle Paul called himself a servant of Jesus Christ, a servant of God. Three times, I think it's in the book of Romans 1.1, 1, 1, Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, and I think it's Titus 1.1. 1, 1. 
But more importantly is this, is that what we have to understand is this. If we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, what does that mean? What does that make us? First of all, it makes us servants. We're servants of Jesus Christ. We are obligated to Him. But here's what the psalmist says here. He says, you have dealt well with me, your servant. And here's the, the, the important point to, in, in this is that if we have accepted Jesus as our personal Lord and our Savior, guess what? The best thing that we have coming to us that we have to look forward to is eternity. Eternity with Jesus himself in heaven. Right? We have that. That is what's promised to us. And he says here, he says, you have dealt well with me according to your word. Turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3, starting off in verse number 15. Paul speaking to Timothy says this, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You know, the only way that we can accomplish verse number 17 there, it, it basically it's, it's furnished us to good, for good works, is that we need to be in God's word. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, right? What is it good for? It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Basically, so that we as Christians are thoroughly furnished, that we're equipped, that we have the tools necessary to be able to deal with things that we come that come upon that we come upon in life. You know, one of the challenges that the guys in prison have is the fact that, in fact, I shouldn't say challenges. It's not just them, because I can also relate. And this is the challenge: is that I got saved when I was thirty-six years old. Guess what? Thirty-six years. I get saved at thirty-six years old. What does that mean? Well, I have thirty-six years. A bad habit to break. I have 36 years of things, history, that I need to overcome, that I need to change. My thinking needs to change. My heart needs to change. My words need to change. The way in which I, I look at the world, all of those things need to change. It needs to be viewed through the lens of God. Sadly, what happens is that just because we accept Jesus as our personal word and Savior, doesn't mean that things change in a moment. It requires something that the, that the author here is talking about. Look at this. Verse number uh, 66. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe thy commandments. You know what? He says here, teach me good judgment and knowledge. Guys, one of the things that we can do is we can say, God, Lord, please teach me. But if we are not willing to learn, if we're not being receptive to his word, guess what? All it boils down, all it, all it is, is just wishful thinking. It's like writing a letter to Santa Claus. The kid's writing a letter to Santa Claus. Basically, it's not going to happen. We have to put in the effort, right? 2 Timothy 2.15, what does it say? Study to show thyself approved, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study. What does the study mean? That means that you and I have to take time out of our day. We have to set apart time.
to do something, then that is studying God's word. So when the psalmist here says, teach me, he's willing, he's asking. And that's what we should be doing, is asking God to teach us. But more importantly is that, not only do we ask God, but we need to be willing to receive what he's telling us. We need to be willing to be willing to sacrifice, put in some time, put in some effort to learn God's word. You know, I joked with the guys, I said, hey, you know what, guys? What if you what if you went down to the chow hall and sat down, got your food, sat down, and you and you asked the guy next to you, hey buddy, can you feed me? <laughs> the guy would look at you like Feed yourself, bro. <laughs> but sadly, that's what happens with many Christians. Right? It says, teach me. Teach me your word. But yet at the same time, you're not, we're not willing to put in the effort. We're not willing to put in the time. So what happens? We starve. We have to be willing to do the work necessary. We have to put one foot in front of the other. We have, you know, God says that his word lights our path. But if we're not in His Word, how can it light our path? How can it direct us? You know, it would be like a blind man saying, Please, how do I get from point A to point B? I can't see. But yet at the same time, he doesn't, he doesn't have his cane or he doesn't have somebody that's guiding him. Guess what? He'll keep bumping into everything. You know, I have a buddy, some of you might, may know him. I mean, he just totally blows my mind. Every time I meet him, every time I see him, it just, I, I'm just fascinated by how he's able to maneuver, how he's able to get around. This man was sighted all of his life up until his early 30s, and then he lost his sight, went totally blind. So for the last, what, 10, 15 years, he's been functioning as a legally, basically has no vision whatsoever. But yet at the same time, you know, he's using his cane, and, and, he, and I see him maneuver. It's like nothing. It's like this guy has... Somehow, some way, he's able to see things. But what has he done? He's worked very hard at it. What has he done? He's allowed his hearing, he's allowed his other senses to be able to guide him. But he's worked at it. He's put in the effort. You know, I, some of you guys know, I, I listen to podcasts. I listen to it in double speed. And some people have overheard when I, when I have the um, podcast on uh, double speed. It's like, for a lot of people, right? And for me, it's, it's okay. My body listens to all, because because of the fact that he's blind, everything is done by audio, right? On his phone, on his, he's got all these different apps. And when I listen to it, it's like, do you understand what they're saying? It's like, yeah, I said, what speed do you have it at? Five. <laughs> I said, five? He said, yeah, some of my friends play it at like seven and eight. Serious. I mean, it literally sounds like gibberish. But he's able to understand what's going on. Why? Because he's put work into it. The same way that we need to do God's work. We need to put work. We need to study. So that he can teach us. So that when we ask God to teach me his ways, if we're putting in the effort, we're putting in the work, guess what? He can. We need to be receptive. We need to have an open heart to this. Verse number 67, he says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. You know, when I read this word with this verse in prison, 
some of the men looked at me and said, you, I can relate to that. Look at what it says. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Guys sitting in my Bible study are going, you know what, Hugh? Before I came to prison, I wasn't going to church. Before I came to prison, I never opened up the Bible. But now that I'm in prison, I'm here in your class. Now that I'm in prison, I'm reading God's Word. Guys, sometimes God needs to get our attention. Most of you all know my story. God needed to get my attention. He had to take me to prison. He needed my undivided attention so he could get me one-on-one -on -one specifically and speak to me, reach out to me. I'm grateful for the fact that he loved me that much, that he was willing to care for me, to willing to get my attention, willing to do something it was, that was good for me. It says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But the second part of this verse is, but now have I kept thy word. You know, sometimes what happens is that God has to do something in our life to get our attention. And when He does get our attention, guess what? It can't be the best thing for us. Because oftentimes what we do is we, we ignore the things that God does for us. You know, we, we look at punishment as being bad. But in actuality, punishment is correction. Punishment is so to teach, well, parents, we, can, we all know this. The reason why we, we punish our children is not so much that we hate them, not so much that we're, we're, we're masochists, not so much that we love to deal, give out pain or whatever it may be. It's because we love them and we do not want them to continue down that wrong path. We want, them, we want to correct them. Turn to the book of Hebrews, and you all know this verse, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 11. It says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. So true, right? You know, when you're being corrected, when you're being chastened, it's not something that you enjoy. It's like, yeah, I want more of this. But he says, nevertheless, afterward it yielded the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Turn to the book of Romans, chapter 5. You know, this is a... A passage of scripture, the first time I read it, it was like, uh, really? Really? Romans chapter 5, verse number 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Imagine this. Does anybody go, yeah, I'm in tribulation. God has given me tribulation. I love it. No, absolutely not. But what, what does Paul say here? Knowing that tribulation worketh patience. You know, we have to go through the challenges, through the trials. We have to experience these things so that we can learn, so that we can grow. There's this progression that he gives us in verse 3 and 4. He says, tribulation worketh patience. Patience, experience, and experience hope that hope that we have through God's word 
that hope, that blessed hope, the fact that we know that Jesus Christ is coming one day, that's something that we have to look forward to. You know, when I look around, I see the things that are going on. The other day I saw um, our president is in, 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 in Kiev. He's walking with the, uh, the president of uh, Ukraine. Walking down some street in the capital of, 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 uh, of Ukraine. And next thing you know, you hear these um, air sirens going off. And they're just walking casually. And I'm thinking to myself, what is going on here? I remember reading an article about Israelis. When they hear air sirens going off, they have anywhere between 15 to 45 seconds to get to a bomb shelter. Because guess what? The only reason why those uh, sirens are going off is because you got incoming missiles, incoming bombs happening, right? But here you have the two, the leader of America and the leader of Ukraine just casually walking down the street. And worse yet is that you got secret service agents that are just not doing anything. I'm thinking to myself, what is going on here? This does not make sense at all. But that's the point. Is that when you're seeing something with your own eyes, but yet at the same time you cannot trust what your eyes are seeing because something's not right. Your brain is going, something is not right. And that's the same thing. If we're in God's Word on a daily basis and we hear things, we see things, and we go, that doesn't make sense. Because it goes opposite of what God has written, of what God has said. You know, you have, you've all heard the way in which they train bank tellers. How do they train them? They don't train them with counterfeit bills. They train them with the real stuff. So that when they do come across counterfeit, they feel it, they touch it. And it's like, this isn't, this, something's wrong here. Something's not right. But if we're not in the truth, guess what? It is easy for us to be fooled by everything. And sadly, what happens today is this, is that, Christians are not willing to stand for God's word. And if we're not willing to stand for God's word, guess what? We're susceptible to fall for anything. We need to be willing to take a stand somewhere. It comes to a point where it's like, is there a red line? Are we going to draw the red line and say, you cannot step over this? Are you willing to stand up for what God has said? Are you willing to stand up for what is true? Are you willing to tell others? When they, when, when they go, oh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. You know what's fascinating is that my um, my um, chapel work line. It's interesting in that the work line at Halava. One of the things that these guys were telling me yesterday, you know, because before we start the day, the first thing that we do is we do devotions. We're studying God's word, and you know, everybody's got assignments, and they. They have their opportunity to be able to expound upon whatever it is that the Holy Spirit taught them. What was fascinating the other day was this. The three guys on the work line came to this agreement. Is that they need to be lighthouses. They need to be witnesses in the prison. They need to stand up for God's word. And sadly, I mean I shouldn't say sadly. I, I guess the word is encouraging. What was encouraging was this is that one of the guys said, you know, my heart breaks, man. My heart breaks for these guys. They don't have Jesus Christ. They have no hope. They're locked up in their cells 24 hours a day. Well, not quite 24 hours, 22, 23 hours a day. And they, and they lost hope. He says, you know, and what's great about these guys is that 
they are looking for opportunities to share, to tell other men about Jesus Christ. And I love that. Yeah. You know, because here's the thing. Go back to Psalm 119, right? It says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. Each and every one of these men that are locked up in prison has been afflicted. The question is, what are they turning to? Do they have an option? Do they know they have an option, right? So the work line is out there. They're trying to give them an option. Let these guys know. Hey, you know what? There's hope. Verse 68. Thou art good. Who's good? God is good. You know, a couple of the Psalms. Psalm 106. Turn to Psalm 106. Psalm 106, Psalm 107. Psalm 106, verse number 1. says there, Praise ye the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endured forever. Psalm 107, verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endured forever. You know, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Sadly, we do not seem to... I should say we, because I can only speak for myself. I can honestly say that, say this, is that there are times where I don't appreciate God's goodness. I truly don't. I have to remind myself, you, you should have been dead 26, 27 years ago, and here you are, going back into the prisons as a chaplain, no less. It's like, that is crazy. You know, the fact, the first time that I went, in fact, the first time that I went in as a volunteer, teaching uh, in the prison I was like I drove my car to the gate and I was nervous I'm going to the prison and dra drive my car and it's like oh wow I wonder if they're going to let me in and then they let me in and then as I was driving up I was going I wonder if they're going to let me out <laughs> <laughs> because while you're in prison the only time that you get transported are in these vans that have these sl slits for on the windows, right? And these slits, you cannot see out. The only thing you can do is you can see the ground. That's it. So I never saw the amount of times that I traveled to and from, like um, Waiava Prison. I never saw what it looked like on the outside. It wasn't until I came back as a volunteer. It's like, oh, this is the road that goes up to the prison. Oh, check out all the pigs that are cruising <laughs> around. In fact, today I was saying, I was asking the guard, I said, you guys should put up a um, Animal Crossing right. sign over here because you got all these wild pigs that are just prevalent throughout the, uh, throughout the facility. Getting back, he says, thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. You know, throughout this, look at it. He says, teach me thy statutes. In verse number 66, teach me good judgment and knowledge. Verse 69, the proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. You know, the world wants us to believe that God's word is irrelevant. The world wants to believe that Jesus Christ is not real. The world wants us to think that, hey, you know what? You guys are trusting in Jesus Christ. It's like trusting in Santa Claus. Absolutely not. Jesus is real. Santa is not. Are we willing to stand up for that? So he says here, the proud have forged a lie against me. Turn to um, Psalm 31. Psalmist here is crying out. This is David. 
Psalm 31, starting off in verse number 17, says here, Let me not be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon thee. Let the wicked be ashamed, and let them be silent in the grave. Let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak grievous things, proudly and contemptuously, against the righteous. Verse 19, Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. You know, one thing that we can depend on is God. We cannot trust in men. You know, it's like men are fallible, right? Men are like you and I. Leaders are like you and I. We're all fallible, but God is not. God is infallible. God is trustworthy. God is someone that we can depend on 100% of the time. So, this, so David is trusting in God. And same thing with the writer here in Psalms. In uh, verse 69, the proud have forged a lie against me. But he says, but I will keep thy precepts with thy whole heart. Verse 70, their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. I want to tie this in to verse number 72. It says, the law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. You know, fat as grease. When I first read that, I was like, fat as grease? What? I don't understand. What are you talking about? Fat as grease, right? But basically what he's saying is, He's fat as the richest parts, the choicest part of the animal. You know, the, the, the sacrifice, the priest got the best part. Well, the best parts were given unto God, and then this, the priest got the, the other parts. But the point is this. He says, their heart, their heart, people out there, they're, they're, they're um, rejoicing in their riches. They're rejoicing in their bank accounts. They're rejoicing in the houses that they have. They're rejoicing in the cars that they have. Whatever it may be, right? But that's what they're rejoicing in. He says, their heart is as fat as grease. He says, it doesn't matter what they're thinking. It doesn't matter what they're doing. My focus is on you, Lord. My focus is on your word. That's what my focus is. And that's what we should be. Our focus should be upon God and God himself. It's easy to be distracted by the things that are going on all around us. I'll be the first to admit, you know, I get I, 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 I get frustrated being in private enterprise all my adult life and then going and being a, a, a chaplain in a government institution is, is sometimes can be frustrating. You know, we ran chapel service on Thursday morning. We had one class. Thursday afternoon, it was canceled. Thursday evening, it was canceled. Friday morning, it was canceled. Friday afternoon, it was canceled. Friday night, it was canceled. Saturday, Sunday was canceled. Monday was a holiday. Tuesday was canceled. Today was the first time that we had chapel classes. And it's like, it can be disheartening. But the, the good news is this. Look at verse number uh, 71 there. He says, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn their st thy statutes. I wasn't there at Halaba today, but I was. I texted with the, uh, the, the assistant chaplain that was there. And I said, Hey, you guys run chapel today? He said, Yeah. I said, How many classes you guys ran? He said, We ran two. And we had to turn guys away. So, I mean, a total of four classes. Two in the morning, two in the afternoon. A total of four classes. The good news is this. They have to turn guys away. People wanted, men wanted to be there, right? 
It says here, it is good for me that I have been afflicted. These men realize that in prison, the only answer, the only solution to whatever problem they have is God. So they're hungry. They're coming. I'm glad for that. But guess what? The same should be for us too. Right? Whenever the, the church doors open, we should be here. We should be hungry. We should come in here anticipating being filled. We should come in here wanting to be fed. Yes, we're feeding ourselves on the outside. We're doing our daily devotion. But why not? You know, it's kind of like, I look at this as, like today. I had a small dinner. I shouldn't say small dinner, but I wasn't that hungry. So I had dinner. <clears throat> but after dinner was uh, finished, my sister had made some um, banana bread. And this banana bread is sitting right in front of me at the dinner table. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I'll have a sample of that. But the point is this. I had had my main meal. I had my dinner. That banana bread was supplemental. It was extra. We feed ourselves on a daily basis. We do that. right? We come to church. I'm not saying it's dessert. I'm not saying it's supplement. Because a lot of times what happens is that what we hear in church, what we learn in church, is also important. To our growth. But at the same time, just because you're eating, just because you're feeding yourself, you're doing the daily devotion, doesn't mean you don't come to church. We should all be here. Let me end with this. Verse number 72. He says, The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Let's take a look at a few verses because I want to bring this home because essentially what happens is that the thinking of a Christian is totally different from the thinking of the world. All right, we should be different. Turn to Psalm 19. <clears throat> Psalm 19. <clears throat> David writes here in verse number 9, The fear of the Lord is clean. Enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. What's more to be desired? The judgments of God, His Word. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. You know, the priorities of the world are totally warped, and we have to be careful. Because sometimes I get caught up in that. You know, I remember um, the, um, the company that I worked for. A year before I retired. I don't know what happened. But I do know this. Is that three of my, of my co-workers. Within a matter of two months. Bought Teslas. So the first one bought a regular Tesla. Or I don't know. Whatever the cheapest model is. The next person buys a Tesla, and this person buys, when they told me how much they paid for this car, I was like, serious? It's like, it's like almost a down payment on a house. And then the third person comes in and he says, I put in an order for the top of the line Tesla, this S their SUV model. It's like got all the bells and whistles on it, right? And he, 
And he tells me, this car costs $130,000. The point though is this. He was placing value upon this thing. God tells us that the value we should be placing is on his word, right? The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. It doesn't matter. All the riches. Your word is the most important thing to me. I'll end with this illustration. In fact, it's not an illustration. It's a story. Back in 1978, Tom Landry, probably, I'm not sure if he's the winningest Dallas Cowboy coach. I never liked the Cowboys. But at the same time, I do respect Tom Landry. He was at Temple University speaking in front of 2,000 students. And somebody asked him and said, Coach, what is the secret to your success? He said, back in 1958, I got my priorities right. God, family, and football. Where are your priorities? Is it God first and then everything else falls on me? Because sometimes what happens is that we get our priorities twisted around, right? And that's the reason why. He says, your word, your word is more important than gold, than silver, more precious. That is what we should be focused on, is God's word. Let God's word permeate through us. But more importantly is this, let God's word be the priority that we set forth. Because that is, this is the only thing that we can trust in today's world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for this day. And Lord, we are truly grateful for your word. Your word says that um, the law of your mouth is better than thousands of gold and silver. And Lord, I pray that um, we get our priorities straight. I know it's easy to be worried about the things that are happening around, the things that we hear, the things that we see, Father. But one thing that we can trust in is you. And I pray, Lord, that... Uh, we would continue to be anchored in your truth, that we would just strive, Lord, to gain a better, a stronger relationship with you. Father, I ask, just ask that you would continue to encourage your saints. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right.